0: for anything that might come. Uh, typically, what they're imagining is like a nuclear holocaust or, or an invasion or, or something like that. But they go to these extraordinary lengths just to be ready for the worst possible things. So they've got the, you know, the underground bunkers. They've got communication systems, huge food storage. Um, grenades. grenades are a pretty common part of the preparation process. Um, most situations can be solved with uh, one or two grenades. Um, and it's, it's an it's a interesting thing to watch, It's the kind of lengths that, that people go to just to be ready for really just kind of horrific, horrific situations. Okay. And, um, and it, part of me just wishes I could kind of do it, but I think the thing that's always going to hold me back is the cost. It's kind of this weird thing that they seem always a little bit on the, just on the verge of madness, but they somehow have got the funds together for these huge plots of land, digging underground bunkers and all that. Training. So they're doing something right um, over there as well. But I feel that. Like I don't want to be hit by surprise with when something bad's gonna happen. I like to know about it and I like to be prepared. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know we're in this section of Jesus' teaching where it's all preparation. He's getting his followers ready so they're gonna be able to face some actually pretty um, pretty horrible things. And for we're we're in a part of John's gospel where Jesus has gathered with his closest friends, followers. on the the Passover night, the night before, he then gets arrested, trialed, and then executed. And he's sitting around this dinner table with them, and he's just talking to them, helping them understand what is going to help them when the time comes where he's no longer physically with them, and they have to continue following in his way. And so the last couple of weeks, we've looked at him, just reminding them of just the foundational reality that he himself is the way to life. And last week, we looked at him um, teaching them on the importance of, maintaining a deep and personal connection to Jesus even in his physical absence. And this week, you might be feeling it's a little bit of a, of a gear shift. He's talking about um, how to respond to being hated. And if you're just here for the first time or the first this is your first time visiting a church, you might be thinking that's kind of this is like some kind of foreign stuff to be getting into. Like I just wanted to come along to church. I didn't want to be told I had to be hated. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a gear shift in what he's talking about. But what he's I guess, opening them up to and preparing them for is what is a really, I guess, uncomfortable reality for the church in, in most of the world. Maybe it's actually something you've been feeling um, yourself as you just go about life, even, even in Australia, that there is something uncomfortable about the trajectory we're on in terms of how the world views the church. I think it's pretty fair to say that year on year, the church in Australia isn't getting more popular and there's a couple of reasons for this. One is um, because I think there's a bit of a genuine reckoning going on for the times when churches and church leaders or prominent Christians haven't done what they should do. Um, there's just been like so many stories over recent years of church leaders being kind of outed as abusers or, or times when, when churches have had really, I guess, toxic cultures and have not cared for people in the way that they should. And that's actually a kind of a, a good thing that's going on in the background, is hopefully this leads to growth in, in how the church does things like accountability, how they, how they do transparency, and hopefully that's a bit of a process which is going to actually strengthen and make the church more healthy. But that's kind of one of the things that's going on. But on the other hand, a lot of the antagonism towards the church isn't because of the times when the church hasn't done what it should do, or when church leaders have failed. But it's actually for the times when when Christians and when the church have done what Jesus calls them to do. Namely, holding on to Jesus' message, the beliefs that are foundational to the Bible, that there is a God who deserves worship from all people. That there are certain attitudes or beliefs or behaviors that we engage in that are actually sinful that the the pathway into a relationship with God is through repentance. And these ideas are are increasingly at odds with the culture we find ourselves surrounded by. And it leads to opposition. It leads to the church being labeled as, whether it's harmful or irrelevant or oppressive. And that can be a, a troubling reality to be living through as, I guess, Christians in the West, who, although we know, and I guess we have known for some time, that in some parts of the world, in, in, in Asia, in Africa, in the Middle East, there are Christians who are getting arrested or even killed for their faith. We often subconsciously believe that if we just play our cards right, we can both be followers of Jesus and liked by everyone. And to see the Christ- Christian being a label that is increasingly uh, a negative thing can be troubling. And this is the reality that Jesus is speaking into today, and his purpose in doing so is to cultivate a community that is resilient and joyful and hopeful. So let's let's walk through these verses together that were read for us. And the very first thing we see is just this reminder that Jesus was hated. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, that might be surprising to some people that that Jesus was hated. When we think of Jesus, I don't think the first thing that that comes to mind typically is that he was a hated person. Even amongst people outside the church, if you walk down the road out in Balmain and said to people, What do you think of Jesus? you're probably not going to have the first response be, I hate him. You might have people saying he's irrelevant, or typically just says, He's a good guy, he's nice, had some good teachings, that kind of thing. We don't often associate Jesus with being hated. And I think that actually reveals on one level how out of touch we are with the real Jesus. We picture Jesus as a bit of a character, something on some artwork, a bit like this kind of soft, nice figure, kind of like how Queen Elizabeth is remembered as just something out there, but, you know, kind of indifferent. We're not picturing the Jesus of history. That it is an established historical fact that, that Jesus was hated. That he was someone who stood in front of a crowd of people who yelled, crucify him, crucify him. That he was the subject of an organized, systematic attempt to incriminate and destroy him and his legacy. He was a person who was killed not humanely, but aggressively and dehumanizingly. And the question that we need to have an answer for in our minds is why? What is the explanation for this? Why was Jesus hated the way that he was in his time? that's a question that's worth pondering, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. Because the reality is that Jesus was hated, and we need to know why. Jesus, a man who killed no one, raped no one, started no riots, no revolutions, ostracized no one, who was, by all accounts, someone who was generous and humble and, and, and loving to all those he encountered, why was Jesus hated? And the answer to this question gets to the heart of who Jesus is and what he's about. And what we see in verse 21 to 24 is that it's tied up with the way that he has convicted people of sin. Look at verse 21 with me. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. These words that Jesus speaks are a little bit confusing on first glance because they seem to be suggesting um, that prior to Jesus coming, there was no guilt, there was no sin. And somehow Jesus coming and engaging with the people of his day caused them to become guilty of sin. And that runs a little bit at odds with the other things you read in the Bible because throughout the Old Testament, you see again and again and again um, all people being described as fundamentally sinful, people who are the result of, of a rebellion against God, people who are choosing to live their own way. We see that all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's not the case that Jesus coming kind of creates something that wasn't already there, but I think what Jesus is saying when, in, in those verses is when he comes... The guilt is shown to be real. There is something about Jesus' presence, something about who he is and the message he brings that exposes a dark reality that was already there. And people don't like being exposed. I'm going to say so there there are two ways you can become widely hated in, in our world. The first way you can you can conjure up a lot of hate towards yourself is by just being a terrible person. Being someone who's just arrogant. Like it's, it's, you see Andrew Tate in the news a lot at the moment. He's just someone who's just, you know, everyone pretty, pretty much agree repulsive, the way he speaks about women, he's a misogynist, he's now been found to be a human trafficker. That's one road to being widely hated. But the other way you can gather a large amount of hate for yourself is actually the opposite. It's actually being so good and so, so truthful that you're exposing darkness in other people. Um... A little example is, I remember speaking to someone a couple of years ago who worked as a council worker, and he said that on his first day of work, as he was you know, mowing median strips and whippersnippering and that kind of thing, he got told off by his team for working too fast. And he was like, like what do you mean? Like, I'm just kind of whippersnippering. And they said, no, if, if you work fast, they'll realize how much we can do, and they'll give us more work. And so this guy just wanted to do a good job, but just by, by simply just doing his job well, he became a threat to everyone else who just didn't want the status quo interrupted, who wanted just to be able to be free to do the bare minimum and nothing more. I'll give you a more poignant example though. If you want a, a sobering read at some point, go on Google and just type in hate mail addressed to Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. has obviously gone down in history as one of the Greatest man of the 20th century. He's revered as a man of courage and justice and humility and grace. And you may have seen various bits about Martin Luther King Jr. this week because in America every year on January 16, they now celebrate his birthday as a, as a national event because he's known as one of the, the greatest leaders in, in America in the 20th century. But in his lifetime, he was also one of the most deeply hated men in America. He just constantly received these vile letters attacking every aspect of his character. Things that were just blatantly untrue. He was often hurled abuse out in the streets. He received death threats and multiple assassination attempts on his life, the last of which was successful. And this was a man who was a pastor, a man who was publicly committed to non-violence, a person who had committed no crime, whose whole life was poured out selflessly and sacrificially, and yet he was hated. And the reason he was hated is that he shone a light on evil. He spoke out, obviously, against racism in a racist society, and people who are walking in evil do not like to be confronted with their own evil. People who are benefiting from racism do do not want to have that interrupted. Jesus was hated, not because he did any wrong by anyone, But because of who he is and what he said revealed about the world that he was walking in. Jesus entered our world and he brought with him a message from God. And his message was more than just nice sayings like love your enemies and do to others what you'd have them do to you. His message was one of repentance. He said stop sinning and follow me. He makes claims like the one we heard a couple of weeks ago that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is, that I am the only way. To, to know God and to live life the way that it really is. I'm the truth, that any other truth claim or, or uh, set of beliefs that, that is opposed to the reality that he himself is God is a lie, that he is the life, that he is the only way to experience life to the full. And it is a confronting message. Jesus comes into our world and he says, embrace me as the way, the truth, and the life. Repent of your sin, accept forgiveness, return to God. But to accept Jesus' invitation means admitting that you're a sinner. It means admitting that you need help, that you actually have done wrong and deserve punishment. And it forces you to a point, there's only kind of two ways you can respond to Jesus. You can accept him, and in doing so, acknowledging everything wrong about you and your life, or you reject him. There's no middle ground. Jesus comes into our world, the perfect person, God made flesh, And his perfect life exposes our imperfection and our failing. And his message demands a response and a change. It is a disruptive encounter. And many people do not want to have it. Earlier in the the Gospel of John, there's, there's this great couple of verses that sum up this idea. Where it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. People don't want to be exposed for what they are. Now this response that Jesus gets of being hated doesn't doesn't just explain, I guess, the response towards Jesus. It explains, I guess, the response people often have to Jesus' followers in the church. It reveals why Christians today can expect to be hated. Look at what Jesus says in verse 19 and verse 20. Says if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus says here that his followers can expect to be treated in a similar way to him. Because we are servants of him on about the same task, the same purpose. We can expect the same result. And what he's saying is that there's a fundamental divide between Jesus' followers and the rest of the world. We don't often feel this divide because, you know, we're living in the world the same as everyone else. We listen to the same music, eat the same food, have the same jobs, enjoy the same things. But Jesus is clear that his followers are separate in a sense, it's the experience of being a foreigner. Have you ever had the experience of, of, of being in, in a foreign country for an extended time? I think the most I've ever been in, in, a, in a country that's not my own has been a few weeks. But even that's enough to get the sense that you can be living a life in a place in many ways similar to those around you, but to have something different going on, particularly around your values, potentially, or how you can how you think of your home. Maybe that's even your experience here. Maybe Australia is the foreign country that you're in, and and. For most of the time, it just feels like it's, it's home and it's right, into your place. But every now and then, something reminds you that this is not your home. This is the relationship to the world that every Christian should feel to some extent. We can go through life in many ways. We feel like we fit in. We feel like we belong. But we have a different identity. Because being a disciple of Jesus means being given a new identity and a new home. It means renouncing everything else that the world lives for. It means accepting Jesus' assessment of the world that it is fundamentally broken and in need of the gospel. It means we can't pretend that just the world is fine as it is. It means we can't pretend that that sin is just a preference or it's harmless. It means we can't conform to the world's values. We can't sign off on many of the ideas that are just commonplace around things like abortion or on marriage or euthanasia or on gender. It means we can't conform to the narrative that wealth and comfort are the highest ideals that we should be pursuing. Or that all religions or all approaches to life are equally good. But rather, like Jesus, we're to hold out the message of the gospel. We're to go into this broken, hurting world full of pain, full of need, full of loneliness. And like Jesus did, to show compassion, to show love and to hold out the message of repentance, the message of grace, the forgiveness that is on offer. But doing this, doing what we're called to do as servants of Jesus exposes to a cost. So how are you feeling hearing all of that? How do you feel about what Jesus is saying to his followers? Maybe you actually feel a little bit funny about it because you're not particularly feeling that hated and it feels like it's kind of an extreme thing to be saying. That that our experience isn't what it is in some parts of the world where we we might live in fear that our church will be burnt down or that people will storm in here and attack us or that even the government will come in and, and arrest us from gathering in this way. That's not our experience. And so something might jar a bit about what Jesus is saying with our lived experience. But maybe it's jarring to you as well because you just really don't want that to happen. That you kind of feel like, I, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't endure like, widespread hatred for, for Jesus. Like I'm okay with it as long as life's pretty good along, alongside, but I just don't know if I'm really signed up for that. Jesus' words are important to us. Even if the kind of persecution that we, we see in some parts of the world seem really far off or distant, that we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. Look at what he says in in chapter 16, the next few verses. He said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. In this time of relative peace where Jesus is gathered with his followers enjoying a meal, he's warning them that hard times are ahead. And he wants them to be clear up front that that's happening and that's going to be part of their story so that when it does in fact happen, they're not going to be caught off guard. They're not going to think that that means that things aren't going to plan, that, that Jesus somehow left them or things are going wrong. But he's letting them know up front that even when things start to turn really dark, this is all part of the plan. That he has seen it coming. And so when that moment arrives, they can stand firm and they can stand confident. If Jesus had just not said anything, or if he said, Hey guys, you've got this, it's just going to be smooth sailing from here on out, people are going to love you, and then reality hits and people are against them, it's going to be crushing. But he's clear, he's saying, No, I'm telling you now, so that when this happens, you don't fall away. To be prepared, to think about what's coming, to think about what's possible so they can walk through the pain and the discomfort and the trouble. But Jesus says another reason he tells them this, if we skip ahead to the end of chapter 16 to verse 33, as, as Jesus concludes this section, he, says th- he then says this, But I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is how Jesus finishes the section where he's just warning them that like, they, they're going to get killed. And he's not using hyperbole in the instance of the specific people he's sitting around a table with. Um, they, many of them are literally facing death for following Jesus. He himself is going to die the next day. So it's not exaggerated language. But he's telling them this with the hope that it in some way results in a peace. And I was like, pondering on that this week because it just seems so such a non-peaceful thing to hear, to hear that you're going to have trouble. That's what Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. It's guaranteed. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't spare you from hard times. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. He knows that the very next day he himself is going to go to the cross. He's going to be hung up to die. He's going to be put in a tomb. But then three days later, he's going to rise. He's going to conquer death He's going to ascend to his father, and the church is going to go out. And despite every ep- effort of the world to stop this thing growing, despite imprisonments, executions, he knows that in the end, his message will win, that the church will grow, and it has. Despite countless attempts to, to, to quench the growth of the church and the message of the gospel, 2,000 years later, it is across the world. Jesus reminded reminding them, take heart. You're on the right path. I have overcome the world. So what do we do with this? I think firstly, I just want to speak to you, if you're someone here who wouldn't describe yourself as a follower of Jesus, what do you do with the reality that Jesus was hated and he's calling, trying to pull together a group of people who are okay with being hated and ostracized for him? I wonder if it's worth just considering, and maybe it'll just give you reasoning like, is there there more to Jesus than you've seen before? If you didn't previously think of Jesus as someone who had a message that is so radical that it would cause him to be attacked and even killed, maybe, maybe an invitation to you would be to start actually reading some of what Jesus said, some of what Jesus did, to see what life provoked this response. But a second thing you might want to think on is, what does it mean that there are so many people across the world that think Jesus is so good that they would be willing to face attack, imprisonment, and even death just to hold on to him? That there are, there are millions of people on this planet that think there is something about Jesus that is so good and so life-giving that they would be willing to die rather than renounce it. That there is something to the Christian message. We as a church, would just love to just be helping along that journey. If you're still just in the early stage of asking questions and thinking about or investigating, um, poking holes, that kind of thing, we'd love to be in touch. So if you've got any questions, you want to talk more, please run one of those white cards so we can be in touch. But if you are a follower of Jesus, are you willing to be hated for Jesus? I'm not saying we should go out and just stir up some hate and try to be as like, hateable as we possibly can, because that's not the answer. Um, and, and much of that hatred towards the church in some ways is often justified because Christians are just being inconsiderate and unloving and, and callous. We don't want to be those kind of people. And there are also times when the church is held in high regard as well. But my question simply is this. Is, is if it came to it to hold on to the gospel message, to keep walking with Jesus, that was going to result in you being hated, would you, would you follow through? Because whether or not you will, will affect how you conduct yourself week in and week out, even in our, in our time and our place now. If your biggest fear is being thought less of, not even hated necessarily, just to be thought of as, as stupid or lesser in some way, then you're going to hide away. You're going to, you'll, you'll try to live out your faith in the least noticeable way possible you kind of have this minimalism mentality where you just do the bare minimum you can to still feel like you're a follower of Jesus, but without causing any waves. And when hard times come, you, you'll compromise. You'll try to find a middle road where you can sort of keep one foot in both camps, where you can be following Jesus, but also try not to upset anyone around you. But I actually think that would be a shame if that was the case. Because we've got a unique opportunity at the moment. Christians in Australia today, we get to live out an experience of faith and a situation that is more similar to the early church than it has been potentially for hundreds of years. The church thrives on the margins. Very, very rarely is Christianity the dominant culture. And in the West, Christianity got to be the dominant culture for a couple hundred years, but now things are reverting to the mean, where Christianity is a fringy counterculture where it's a subset of society, living within a society, being really intentional about loving those around us and doing the best for the world that we live in. And this is the place of a disciple in the world, to go to work each day, or to go to your midweek touch footy game, or to go to kids' pick-up time at school, as a sent one of Jesus. As one who is living a life in this world, but, but we are here for a different reason to everyone else. We are here because Jesus sent us here to be present to love with the same intentionality as Jesus to be one in the world who is not of the world with the clear purpose of introducing people to the one who loves them and can save them and in that reality the biggest tragedy would not to be hated the biggest tragedy would be not to rise to the occasion of offering this world what it desperately needs a pointing to the way, an articulation of the truth, a representation of the greatest life there is, which is life in Jesus. And this is what we want to be doing as a church. We want to be a church that courageously represents Jesus and the life-saving gospel in an increasingly hostile world. To prayerfully and faithfully stand our ground, not to hide away, but tenderly to go out, gracefully to connect with people, to love and to point them to Jesus, even when it's hard. And it will be hard. This is a very outward-looking week, as Jesus thinks about the world. Next week, for our final week in this section of John's Gospel, we're going to be talking about looking a bit more inward at the church community and how it is we can help each other, um, even if we are at times hated, how we can experience a a great deal of love from within. But for this week, maybe just to think, do you have an opportunity in in the seven days ahead of you so maybe mention your faith where at a point you normally wouldn't out of fear. Whether it's just mentioning that you came to church on a Sunday, or whether it's opening up about a, a part of your life you're trying to bring into line with the way of Jesus, or whether it's just to tell someone who's going through something hard that you're praying for them, if you are in fact praying for them, to let them know that. But to live your faith out on the outside, even when that's a scary thing to do. And I feel the, the kind of the inclination to not do that kind of thing. Typically, I don't. Um, but there are opportunities that are all around. I was in an Uber this week and um, the Uber driver asked me what do I do during the week. And technically, I've got two jobs. I work at church, but I also work for a restaurant. And so depending on the day, I can decide how I want the conversation to go. But this time I said, oh, I work, work at a church. And then he said, oh, yes, yeah, so you do you know weddings, christenings, funerals, that kind of thing. And I just, my, my natural response was just going to be, yeah, 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 and then just let the conversation end. Because I just felt like that in the conversation end, that's the easiest thing to do. But I'd been literally working on, on this talk. And so I was like, oh, I'll say I'll say something else. And so I said something not very articulated as this, but I said something along the lines of, "Well, um, oh, actually, you know, we're, we're a church in Balmain. As you know, it's a really affluent area. But we just find that a lot of people in this city are really lost. They don't really know what life's about. And we, our purpose as a church is to connect people back to the God who loves them. And he just said, like, oh, cool, or something like that. But that, that didn't go anywhere. But I felt that hard to say, and it would have been easier just to not say anything. But at the very least, there is now someone else out there, from me doing almost nothing, who knows there is a place that you can go if you feel like there's, life's missing some meaning. If there's, a pla- there's a place you can go if you feel like there's more to life. And that's, that's the kind of net result of that conversation. But it made me wonder, we've got like 100 plus adults who call City Light home. If we all go out this week and just try to keep as quiet as possible and just downplay how important Jesus is to us or not mention it when the opportunities that are already there come up, it is very hard to see how the church is going to grow in this city. But if on the other hand, we went out in the confidence that we're not of this world but we're sent by Jesus who has overcome the world, and even being hated isn't the worst thing that can happen because Jesus has overcome the world. And so we just spoke out, lived our faith on the outside. Who knows what could happen? We want to see this world reached with the message of the gospel. We are the ones Jesus has sent to accomplish that task. And so even when it is hard, we need to be a people who is dependent on him, who take heart, who find the peace in knowing that, that, the, that the one who beat death is on our side. And he is with us, and he's going before us. I'm going to pray now that this would be our reality as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to just bring each of ourselves before you. And Lord, firstly, if, we are, if we're a person or we're in a place in which we're not sure if you're worth it, or we're not sure if you are someone that we'd be willing to take on some cost for whatever that cost is just that you were to help us see you as you are that you would open our eyes to i don't know just pull back the curtains on reality that we might see that there is something big going on in this world that we live in a in an eternal reality that this life isn't all there is we live in a spiritual reality that there is more than what we can just see and that when we feel the pressure just to kind of keep our head down And when we feel the pressure just to live for the moment, just that you remind us of of what you've called us to. Lord, we just want this church to have an impact and we want our lives to have an impact, but we just know we can't do that on our own. We know that on our own, we are often filled with fear and we are often, we just want to be comfortable. We want to be liked. We just ask that you would help us know how much you love us, what you've done for us and what you can do through us. That we might be a confident Resilient, joyful, hopeful, loving people, and that in 2023 we might see, um, see some of what that can do. the people would be reached, the people would be impacted, and the people would know you. and we pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.